This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by Renthal Street. From race to adventure, custom to naked, look no further than Renthal Street for handlebars, clip-ons, chains, and sprockets. Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast presented by Renthal Street with over 800 street fitments for handlebars, bar mounts, clip-ons, brakes, pads, chains and sprockets. Check out Renthal.com. On today's Paddock Pass podcast, we've got a very special guest. We've got Chad Reed joining us on the show. So that's a big uh, tip of the cap to Adam Wheeler for getting Chad on the show. And uh, obviously we have to say hello to Adam to kick off this show as well, Ad. But it's been great to get the chance to sit down and have a chat with Chad. Yeah. Hi, Steve. Hello, everyone. Uh, yes. I mean, it's kind of easy in the end, really. Uh, you know, you've got a big MotoGP fan like like Chad Reed, um, you know, ask him to come on the podcast. Uh, thanks also to JT from Fly Racing for, um, you know, helping out with that little arrangement. But uh, it's good. I mean, he knows a lot. Uh, he knows a lot of people as well. So he's got some good stories as well with uh, having a listen right through the show. Um, and other than that, Steve, I've just got all my um, snow or warm weather clothing packed for the imminent launch of a Ducati um, superbike team, actually. Vroom used to be um, Ducati, MotoGP and Formula One, Ferrari Formula One team. Uh, but now they're, they're pairing together the world champions in both series. So uh, we'll be venturing into temperatures, which Dave has kindly let us know will be dropping down to minus 18. So the enthusiasm has been dampened somewhat. <laughs> so we'll sit indoors. really we'll, good. Yeah, we'll just sit indoors. Don't worry about it. I like the fact that they're pairing up the world champions from the Paddock Pass podcast as well. Gordon <laughs> Ritchie's going to be there as well. So I'm looking forward to seeing what you have to say with El Gordo. Neil, it's been a while since you had the chance to catch up with Gordo, but uh, that'll be a good chance for you to ease your way back into working for the year. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Getting a Gordo bear hug is always a, a highlight of any year. And it's been, what, what? two years three years maybe it was pre-covid the last time i saw gordo to be honest so looking forward to that it's one of the many reasons why we're why we're heading to the uh the italian alps obviously um chance to see peco and enea obviously in the uh the same room in the same colors uh sitting the top uh yeah the same colored bike which i think will be interesting that's probably going to be one of the the battles that we're all um most intrigued about this year um but yeah obviously um we'll hopefully get a sit down with gordo at some point as well and we can uh, bash out uh some kind of pod maybe for our, our patreon listener steve well, I'll tell you what, speaking of intrigue, I am particularly intrigued as to see what Mr. MotoMatters.com David Emmett has to say about the launch of the first MotoGP bike of the 2023 season. Dave, we've seen a massive change to the Yamaha for next year. <laughs> There's an orange sticker on the fairing for better tools. It's blue. It's what is blue. your thoughts on this huge change? It's orange. <clears throat> It's uh, yeah no obviously there's a there's a there's a massive difference and um, uh, it's great to see them launch the 2021 uh, Yamaha M1 bike because that was the bike which won the championship. Um, I mean they've got the 2022 Aero on it, but it's basically the 21 uh, uh, frame. So um, yeah, I mean uh, obviously a bike launches the nonsense, and the real uh, the the real interest starts at Sepang when they start once they once they're forced to show their hands, once they're forced to actually start. Uh, showing the bits and bobs that they're going to use during the season. But just last week, you were saying that team launches were the best thing since sliced bread, Dave. I uh, I changed my mind in the in the intervening week. 
He was waiting for his flight tickets to come in from Ducati. <laughs> but uh, I was advocating for the launches, and I have to say, I, I think we're going to be generally quite disappointed this year. I think we're not going to see much variation on the liveries, and you know, uh, it's, it's so early in the year, isn't it? I mean, was it there five launches before the end of January? So we are going to see old machinery. There's going to be no big surprises. Oh, but but they're keeping it secret. I mean, you never put you never well. First of all, you never use a new bike because just in case it falls over and gets damaged or whatever. But secondly, you keep everything under wraps. I remember, uh, particularly Ducati. You know, they'd wait until the Qatar test, which was a week before uh, the Qatar race, to actually roll out their final aero because they knew that it wouldn't give anyone a, a chance to actually copy it. Yeah, that strategy worked out really well for Ducati last year as well with uh, Jorge Martin and the new engine. So it's <laughs> interesting to see how it's going to work out now this season. Obviously, we've got the Sepang test coming up in the next few weeks. So you guys have got uh, a trip out to Italy. And then, David, you're going to be out to Sepang in what? It must be pretty much this day, two weeks you're flying out. Yeah, three or four. Yeah, the seventh, whenever that is. And you're soon to be off to uh, the southern parts of Spain as well, Steve, because World Superbike testing is uh, about to commence. Yeah, searching the sun. And uh, obviously, there's actually quite a bit of sun in Ireland at the minute, but it's also very much clear skies, low temperatures, minus three degrees. So I'll be happy to head down to Hareth for two days of testing. I'm going to skip the Portimao test just because we've got the Phillip Island test before round one as well. So I'll do Hareth and then uh, I'll be out in Australia in time for that test as well. So it is all starting to kick off now. It's exciting. As we're all getting busy, Steve, I think uh, we should just make a small alert that there hasn't been that much on the Patreon channel, uh, you know, since the start of the year. But there was Dave, Neil, and myself going to be at the Ducati launch in Italy. We will try and get a recording done, certainly post-launch, just to give some feedback, some thoughts on what the riders and the Ducati management have to say. Yeah, very good. And I've got a few things up my sleeve as well for our Patreon supporters from the Superbike tests in the off-season as well. So keep an eye on patreon.com forward slash podcast for any of those updates. Adam, just before we take a quick break, before we have a chat with Chad Reed, just for anyone that uh, doesn't know Supercross, what is it that makes Chad special? Goodness. Um, I just think the longevity of his career. Uh, he was a guy who spent one year in the World Championship in motocross. Um, he won the last Grand Prix of the season as a factory Kawasaki rider. And Kawasaki did everything to try and keep him, but he had a dream to, to hit the, motor, the Supercross trail. And after that, he's just been one of the most popular athletes, from I think, from the last 20 years, it's easy to say. Um, battles with the likes of James Stewart, Ricky Carmichael, Ryan Villapoto. Uh, you know, Hanky's won like, on three or four different brands. Uh, he was one of those riders who elected to contest one particular series. He dropped out of motocross for a couple of years. Um, I mean, Chad won't like me saying this, but if you look on YouTube and Google Chad Reed Millville, I mean, he took <laughs> that was one of the most spectacular crashes I think you'll ever see in, in motocross history, which he survived unscathed. Um, everything from being that kind of that personality, that minor YouTube star to now what he's doing with his kids and kind of doing a little bit of an Osborne's YouTube entertainment thing where he's going through the the first shoots of seeing them embark on little riding adventures it's um he's he's a bit of a force of nature so it's uh he's a a pillar of the motocross establishment i'd say in the us it's interesting that he's almost like a um uh, a supercross version of valentino rossi in the longevity of his career and the way that he managed to keep on you know like changing to be competitive and now he's raced against all of the greats um, you know, raced against and beat, and I, he was the guy who had to be beaten. Uh, and you know, in our chat, it was really interesting getting his perspective on 
that subject on you know how how uh, a person like Valentina Rossi uh, and now Mark Marquez are actually in the sort of how they dominate just the whole uh, the, the whole uh, sort of concept of the sport. And all I'll say is after our chat with him, which uh, I think lasted around an hour or so, his knowledge of MotoGP was such that it had me slightly fearful if he ever wanted to become a MotoGP journalist or podcaster, then I fear that uh, a few of us might be out of a job. So, uh, Chad, if you uh, if you stick to the uh, the thing over in America, um, that would be that would be appreciated <laughs> because his knowledge, uh, I think, uh, exceeds even what we all know. Yeah, fortunately, he doesn't pay well enough to, uh, to attempt a supercross rider into it. <laughs> Well, it's always interesting to see how the other half views MotoGP. And that's where it was really interesting to see what Chad had to say about it. So we're going to take a quick break on the podcast. And when we come back, you're going to hear from Chad Reed joining us on the Paddock Pass podcast. Renthal Street, Chain and Sprockets are perfectly matched for maximum power transfer and efficiency. From racetrack to daily rider, with over 800 fitments, Renthal Street has a final drive solution for almost any bike. Use Renthal.com to find the correct fitment. Welcome back to the Paddock Pass podcast. And on today's show, we've got a special guest. We've got Chad Reed. And uh, Chad, I, I don't know whether to call you just a MotoGP super fan, a two-time AMA champion. I, I don't know what to go with for you, but uh, it's great to have you on the pod. All the above fits, so we're, we're good. What about for you, Chad? Where did the love for MotoGP come from? Because for everyone listening, like they'll know you as a Supercross rider, but uh, anytime you come to a GP or, or you talk about it on Twitter, it's always pretty clear it's a real love affair for you. Yeah, it is. Uh, so obviously I grew up in Australia, which was, you know, the Wayne Gardner, McDoan era. Um, and so, you know, when your country is, for the most part, dominating a sport, and motorsport, you know, something that you love. Um, yeah, just it was a real easy thing to kind of jump into. Uh, first MotoGP race, well, back then, 500 GP that I ever went to was 1997 when Mick crashed at Phillip Island. Um, and I've just been hooked ever since, you know, like li literally ever since I was 16 years old, I just um, loved it. And, and for whatever reason, just, uh, yeah, just been following it. I'm, you know, and then through those years with what, you know, Supercross and my, you know, my status in the Supercross world, um, you know, sharing a lot of big moments, uh, bike launches, um, commercials with Valentino when I was at Yamaha and things like that. So just kind of one of those things that, you know, your love for the sport grew into your own position in your own sport, meeting up with the two different sports and the manufacturers, you know, using Valentino and myself being that, you know, on the street side of the, you know, motorsport, you know, MotoGP is the biggest. And then on dirt bikes, Supercross is the biggest. So uh, Valentino and I winning championships in the same year always, you know, brought brought fun times for, you know, marketing and, and whatnot at Yamaha. How come you never or how come you ended up on dirt bikes, not the road bikes? I mean, if you loved if your sort of main love was Grand Prix racing. So the funny thing is, is I, I grew up as a Suzuki kid. So I was always on Suzuki 80s and 125s and kind of transitioning through the sport uh, with Suzuki. And, you know, the 250 Prodi was a pretty popular bike to start on, um, you know, and, and also a little bit, what, five to 10 years ahead of me was always that uh, Matt Maladin, Anthony Gobert, 
um, kind of era. And so leaving Australia and being successful on motorcycles seemed like you really couldn't achieve that in dirt bike racing. Um, and so I just had this burning desire to be a world champion and race the world's best. And so at one point I was just like, that's it. I got to make the transition. I got to go to, you know, uh, street bikes and all this kind of stuff. And my mum and dad, weirdly enough, would always shut it down and always said it was dangerous, you know, like, oh, it's too dangerous. <laughs> and here we are. I race dirt bikes, but, you know, the street stuff was always dangerous. And I think it's just that, you know, that conception that, you know, street bikes on roads with cars and things like that. So, um, yeah, again, my love of it started at 15 years old. And now here where I am at 40 and I literally uh just that in December got the opportunity to go to Phillip Island and actually do uh you know a, a a day um and I couldn't believe that it's been that long and just yeah just the way life happened and you know I was so hectic and so crazy you know chasing the motocross dream that yeah just nothing aligned and I didn't have the timing of it but here I am 40 and I got to do the street bike and put the letters on and it was everything that I ever imagined it was awesome what was your lap time actually I, I I honestly don't know. Um, <laughs> I rode a uh, normally, you know, normally you'd be kind of, you know, like, oh, what's the lap time? But I just was really caught up in the moment of hanging out with, um, you know, a good group of friends, and uh, you know, a couple of the boys were racers and stuff like that. And I just rode a, a Triumph six seventy five, and um, and I was straight off injury, like literally got approved to ride on the Tuesday, jumped on a plane Tuesday afternoon and rode Wednesday. <laughs> 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 Typical, you know, even at 40, you're still, you know, doing dumb stuff. So, <laughs> Chad, what's your opinion on the transition of the skills? Because there's plenty of Grand Prix stars and MotoGP riders who have a dirt bike background or a youth, you could say, an upbringing, you know, in the dirt. But, um, you know... When it comes to, I mean, Jonathan Ray, for example, says if you want to try and find the next MotoGP star, then look at your local motocross track because the kids are who are like, you know, and you know, well, from like, you know, your adventures with your own kids that, you know, that that throttle control, that balance, that whole kind of um, feeling of, of traction comes from such an early age. I mean, do you think, you know, that there is like an unspeakable benefit really for, for kids when moving from the dirt to the asphalt, maybe? I um you know, for a longest time, I've, you can kind of relate to conversations that you have with whether it be Valentino, Mark, Casey, you know, any of the, you know, recent or older generation, um, even to the point of Mick. And a lot of everything, the conversation that you can have and the feelings and, you know, whether it be when we're all on Bridgestone Tire, whether it be dirt bike or, you know, MotoGP, the, the feeling and the complaints, positive and negative, were always very aligned. Um, and so with me having my first experience at Phillip Island, um, and again, apologies, it wasn't a MotoGP bike. So I don't have that reality of what a real MotoGP bike feels like. Um, but my first taste of putting leathers on and going out on slick tires, it, you know, like it wasn't daunting, even a really fast track, like Phillip Island and really flowing. I expected the speed to be maybe felt a little bit more um and at all times the track felt bigger than i expected it it felt like there was a lot of room even when you ran wide um didn't feel like i was ever in jeopardy of like really you know getting getting out of into the grass um and so i just think that yeah maybe the 
the breaking is probably the biggest thing. Like I genuinely, like my first session out, the guys that race, their comment was like, dude, you're like, your breaking is, is like, we can't outbreak you, you know? And that's literally like my first time on a bike. And they were just saying that, you know, like you actually are breaking almost too late. Um, where I didn't feel that I was ever on the limit on the braking. So I just, I don't know if supercross and motocross gives you a certain feeling and, you know, and I think the G forces are a lot more than you think. Um, you know, and, and I think that move, you know, standing up, uh, for the majority of it. And so that balance of forward back, um, and then being on a street bike and the big old tank in front of your legs and things, you're, you're quite stable, you know, like there's a lot of stuff uh, that take away from that, the body movement. Um, and again, I am not comparing to a MotoGP, you know, current MotoGP rider, but just, just those two different things from, you know, what I experienced on my first ride to, to supercross and motocross, I probably would give supercross and motocross more of a, you don't think of the speeds or the, or that, you know, braking power, acceleration power, as much as what I actually think that it's really there, you know? What about the state of your shoulder then as well, Chad? Because you were talking there about the fact that you were cleared just before you were able to go to PI. I presume that's from those injuries from last year. Yeah, yeah. So I crashed obviously in Cardiff and um and so I was twelve twelve weeks out from surgery. Um, you know, and here we are still one or two months down the road and I'm still not hundred percent, you know. And so I still couldn't make a full fist. I almost have a road racer's finger anyway. Um and yeah, shoulder, obviously not a lot of power and it was just different, you know, like I feel like, yeah, like when you compare the two different sports, the road racing is so kind to your body. Um, you know, I can't imagine that high siding and hitting the road is, is enjoyable at any point, but as far as coming out of an injury or even riding through an injury, you're so used to just having to stand, having to hit whoops and jumps and you know just take a an absolute pounding um and it was really nice to just sit on a street bike not have to stand and and generally just be able to do a lot of the movements sitting down chad you mentioned obviously the uh, australian grand prix in 97 is the the kind of the big entry point for you into the sport how often do you get the chance to come to motor gp races and what are the ones that you have uh, visited and gone to that really stand out aside from the the one that you already mentioned yeah, so I've been to, you know, many obviously GPs, um, typically one to two a year. Uh, for the longest time while competing, um, I would always attend the the US GPs uh, because, um, and, and, that, and honestly, they never really made sense now that Austin is during Supercross. So it's kind of like you would race Supercross, you know, and either jump on the red eye or jump on the, you know, the 5.30 flight in the morning, you know, over to Austin. Sometimes you couldn't get into Austin on time. So you'd go to Dallas and then make the drive, um, you know, but definitely was committed enough that no matter what I did, I was always going to make it. Um, yeah. And then obviously being a Mugello, um, Mazzano, uh, Barcelona, um, you know, a few other ones that I'm probably forgetting, but yeah, I've been to a few of the European ones as well. And for me, you know, there's, there's the American MotoGPs and they have a certain feel and they're cool. Um, but yeah, like MotoGP in Europe is, is definitely my favorite, you know, form. And even Australia has a different vibe again, you know, and I would say that all three 
are awesome in their own way, but they're very different, you know, vibes and, and feelings of, you know, how the crowd is and they're, you know, just the, I guess the culture, you know. Are you able to watch just as a fan, Chad, or are you absolutely fanatical about it? You know everything that's going on, you're listening to pods, you're reading online. Or are you able to sit down on the Sunday afternoon and just watch the race? Yeah, yes and no. I mean, I watch it. Like, I obviously, I pay the hundred and something euro, a, you know, a year and I have the full access and I love, I literally watch all the sessions. Um, Even the ones that know, Neil commentates so- on. <laughs> Are you in the ones Neil no. does? And, Sorry for that, and, Chad. Uh, it's, all, it's all good. I like it. I Those are the best ones because for me, you get a feel for the weekend. Um, you know, I think that anybody that's achieved motorsport at a high level, um, what I love personally about MotoGP is, one, a lot of the people in the paddock are my friends and I enjoy watching them, but it makes it challenging because they are my friends and you start analyzing them and you know things that they say in the media you you understand the lingo you know uh half the things they're telling you is the opposite that they're feeling and you can tell it um yeah all you guys as media picking that apart i you know it's just funny to hear mark's the best at it you know i love love listening to mark's debriefs because although he's become a lot more honest you know i think that a lot of the words he uses these days are are more real you know they're not as planned and and you know taking stabs at certain things although he uses that more not so much towards riders these days it's more towards the manufacturer or something like that so um yeah i just i just love that part of it because i've kind of been there and done it what do you think we're missing as 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 journalists i mean because it's funny you say that and you are right that that mark is really good at uh, valentina was always the best at it because he would plant a seed in your head uh, as he, uh, during his debrief, and then you'd have to go off and sort of like try and figure out what he's just told you. Uh, but Mark's Mark is very much the same, you know. Like he'll give you a little bit, he'll give you something that he wants to get out there. Um, uh, so to me, like Casey was always the most honest um, because he, um, it was almost like he couldn't lie. He would tell you exactly what was a. Uh, uh, what was going on? It was always best when he was really upset because um, he would just really, sort of, really properly let rip. It was great. Um, the best thing to do was to, uh, if he was really annoyed, ask him about a completely different subject because then you'd get a really unfiltered opinion on it. But um, what what are we missing? What are we as journalists missing that you, as a writer, know that we're missing? Oh, that's a hard one because you know, like as somebody who's been there and, and like, I feel like it was an era thing, you know, like, I feel like Mick was really clever. Then Valentino took it to a new level of cleverness. And, and Mark has really just taken the reins from, from Valentino, in my opinion. Um, And so I love, like, that's my favorite error. And I feel that today's generation is a little vanilla, you know, like they're, you, you know, like they don't, it, it's not a game where I I lived in an era where it was a game and you used the, the media as a tool to achieve, you know, the, the stab or the kick that you wanted to take to an individual or a team or a sponsor or whatever it was. And, and, as, and as bad as that sounds, it was like, I miss it. You know, like I miss that um, part of the sport. And, and I really think that when I think about it, like Mick, 
like if you have a conversation with Mick and you even just start talking about the sport, he still talks in that code, you know? Um, and so I, I don't know what the media could do because I think that when you got individuals like Mark, um, really because Mark's the only one left, uh, you know, you're so, he's so smart and he's, he's already got his, he's thinking something. Right. And so it's hard for you to predict what that thinking is. Um, somebody that's been there and utilized those skills. Um, I can pick up on it quite quickly. Um, and as you guys do too, but yeah, it's, it's hard because he's only ever going to give you what he, what he's planned to give you. You know, he's never going to go further than that. So it's a hard one for you guys, honestly. <laughs> um, I can remember 2012, um, Qatar, 2012, Valentina Rossi in the Ducati era. Um, and he was absolutely livid. Um, but Valentina never gave that away. He saved it for special moments. And uh, at Qatar, he was just, he was completely, he, he sort of basically sort of had enough. And he waited until Sky Italian TV, Sky came up to interview him live because he knew it was live. And then he basically said, you know, this isn't good enough. The bike isn't good enough. Ducati aren't doing enough and all the rest of it. And had a proper go. And I love the way that he saved his criticism the rest of the time it was you know i it, it was literally the same thing you'd say over again the bike is different i as casey rode in a special way all the rest of it um so it's that that's that to me i thought was was really interesting that valentina knew exactly how and when to uh it wasn't even sticking the dagger in it was more sort of you know uh like a cattle prod do you know what i mean like a stick it use a cattle prod to give uh, uh, giddy everyone up to make sure that they started making changes and doing the things that, that needed to be done well and yeah if you're gonna make a if you're gonna make a statement do it on live italian tv right <laughs> yeah, exactly where you can't be interrupted or anything or edited out you can't be interrupted I, yeah. I, i'm gonna interrupt ad again though because it seems pretty clear that dave has never been struck by a cattle prod if he thinks that it's not light enough yeah <laughs> Totally. Chad, I remember you saying at one point you were slightly envious of MotoGP riders, uh, you know, being a supercross and motocross athlete. You know, in, in, in the dirt bike world, it's harder to express opinions and, and be quite critical sometimes, I guess you could say. Um, why do you think that is? Do you think it's just a bigger media circus around MotoGP and, and like supercross and motocross is that much smaller? You have to be more careful? Yeah, I'm always envious because... Even when the even when the guys and the writers are talking in code, they're they're still telling you that the motorcycle is not where they want it to be and it needs to be a different version of it, right? Um, even to the point where, like, of all companies, you know, Honda admittedly saying that they don't have the best motorcycle, which is beyond understanding of a company <laughs> like HRC you know, coming out and admitting that they don't, you know, have the best bike. Um, I think there's two reasons. Uh, the The biggest reason is, you know, MotoGP, it, yes, it's a Honda Ducati, um, whatever the brand is, but you're not actually selling that motorcycle. Where uh, for us, we are 100% a, you know, a production-based motorcycle. Um, and I think that the general public... And I think the general feeling and the promotion and the, you know, what we as a sport try to achieve is that, you know, you try to make the world think that our motorcycle is the motorcycle that they're riding. 
um, which in, 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 in all honesty, isn't necessarily, um, you know, quite the truth. Um, you know, yes, we have production based, but for the most part, um, you know, it's, it's especially a supercross bike, it's considerably different than what the general public can ride around. So I think that that's probably the biggest thing is just that we're riding a product that we sell and MotoGP does not. Chad, just to pick up on something that you said um, in one of your previous answers, you said this current generation of MotoGP riders is maybe a bit vanilla if you compare it to guys in previous generations. I'd just like to know your opinion why you think that is. Is it because potentially we have just a lot of young guys who are still kind of trying to establish themselves and understand what way is best to present themselves to the media? Or is it just because we have guys that maybe aren't super flamboyant and interesting i mean what's your take on it uh it's i think it's it's a generational thing like i think it's because i i see everything i see in moto gp i also see it in current supercross races um and so i don't necessarily think that moto gp is lacking anything i think the world has changed social media um you know the access that you know everybody has a device in their in their hand and and anybody in any part of the world can say good or bad things about you and you know the likeliness of you seeing it is high um and so i think the world is just backed up from that you know like it used to be you know a lot of the words and things that you said were you know put out and edited and there was always a delay you know whether it was print or it was edited and put onto the internet um you know and now it's just like everything you do is immediate good or bad you know i mean just you know look at peko's issues he had last year off track and you know i think that once upon a time that probably doesn't go out to the world and the world knows about it and suddenly you do something you make a mistake in life and and you're having to answer to it immediately um and at the end of the day they're they're still young people learning life, um, making mistakes, doing these things. And so I just think the world has changed. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's fair, you know, that I call them vanilla in a negative way. I just think that the, the world is very much that, and it's across the board, uh, in a, and in a generational thing, I see it in supercross and it frustrates me as much in supercross as MotoGP. And, you know, and every once in a while you feel like Jack's going to break the mold, but you know, even Jack, as much as I love him, is is who he is. But he's he's pretty restricted these days, and he's learned to have to be that way. You know, I think that he was getting a little bit pushed out of MotoGP and not getting uh, the positions and the jobs um, he needed, uh, while you know staying true to who Jack was. Um, and so he's had to, you know, re- reel it in a little bit. Do you think the fact that the uh, kids have to start racing so young nowadays if they're going to make it to the top. Do you think that has a a role to play? Because I know you were saying, you know, you're you're talking about racing at fifteen, uh, and especially the the generation. I mean, you know, like Valentino didn't really start taking racing seriously since he was like thirteen or fourteen. Whereas a lot of the kids, you know, you know, Mark's been racing seriously since he was I don't know six, seven, eight. Um, do, do you think that has a role as well? You see, this is probably where I possibly differ. Um, you know, I think that racing at the highest level and becoming a champion, I think, you know, champions are born, not built. 
Um, and so I think that you, I don't believe that like an individual, you can be like, that's it. That sport's cool. I'm going to go work hard at it. And, and I do believe that hard work will conquer things, but I think it only takes you so far. I think you do have to have that crazy talent within you um, and you have to be born to do it. And, and so when I look at, I think of my childhood, I was three and a half and literally went all in until I was 38 years old and loved every bit of it. Um, you know, like you said, Valentino maybe started a little later, but then I look at you know, Lorenzo, I look at Marquez, you know, you, you see the videos and the highlight reels and you see such young little kids, um, you know, doing things. And then you look at where they're at today. And I think it, I don't agree with some of the rules being implemented within, you know, the sport of MotoGP, you know, like putting age limits and things like that. I think that not everybody's equal. That's just my personal opinion is, is I think that you know, you may have a 16-year-old Valentino who's quite clever and, you know, and, and methodical and thinks about it and is just, you know, and is just destined to be a champion. And then you may have somebody who is 16 with a bunch of talent but really doesn't have a head on his shoulders. And he's it takes him three, four years to really reel it in, figure it out. A few people slapping him up the back of the head to tell him, don't do that, don't do this, you know. And so it just... Yeah, it's, it's a hard one to answer. I don't know that I don't like rules because I feel like rules always limit great people. And that's that's my problem with it. Unfortunately, rules do limit the podcast as well. We've taken a break just now, <laughs> but when we come back, we're going to have a little bit more of a chat with Chad as well. Renthal fat bars are synonymous with off-road world champions. The Renthal Street Fat Bar draws from decades of experience to create the ultimate 28mm handlebar in a range of street-specific bends. Whether you're looking to alter the height, width, rise, or sweep of your handlebar, Renthal Street Handlebars offer a bend to suit your requirements. Use the WorksFit Handlebar Comparison Tool at Renthal.com to find the perfect bend. Welcome back to the Paddock Pass podcast with Chad Reed joining us on the pod this week. And uh, Chad, just to move on a little bit to compare something that's a bit like for like for you, you're able to talk an awful lot about a condensed season. We've talked a lot about it on the pod in recent weeks with the new MotoGP schedule this year, sprint races, the Sunday race, and then also an awful lot of back-to-back events. As a Supercross rider, that was your bread and butter. That was what your entire career was built around. Just how tough is it to, to have that relentless schedule oh it's brutal i mean you know since living in the u.s it's from the end of 2001 like i only know a schedule of supercross which is 17 races in 16 weeks you know um in 18 weeks sorry we have one weekend off uh but it is brutal and so yeah i mean i get a kick out of MotoGP and even formula one you know like just other forms of motorsport Especially like, yes, MotoGP is pretty hard on the body and whatnot. I get that. But like you guys, they don't ride the bikes during the week. Like where we're racing Saturday and then it's Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, back in the saddle, you know, all out. And so it's just so relentless. It's over. It's repetitive. And so it's always funny to me, like to think of like, oh, I'll race one week and I'll take a weekend off and we'll race again. And it just, yeah, I love actually as ruthless and brutal as it is it's there's a rhythm to it and 
and the good are good, you know, because uh, the cream rises to the top and then it, it, that, that part was always fun. Like I enjoyed that part. Did it take a while, Chad, to kind of find that rhythm? Did it take you a few seasons to almost catch the, the kind of regularity or was it something that just came so naturally to you? Uh, so my first full season was to, uh, 2003 when, when I went to the big bike class and that year I won the first race second at the second one and, you know, was doing really good. And I was racing as a rookie. I was racing Ricky, Ricky Carmichael for the people that don't know. And, um, you know, and it was like, you kind of got like five, six races in and it was just, you're kind of like burning the candle at both ends. You know, you're just like, you're in that battle. And as a rookie, you're just like racing you know, and you never turn the brain off. And then I remember getting around like rate, you know, race eight, you start, you know, transitioning from the West coast of America to the East coast. Uh, you're, you're flying into a, you know, events that are, you know, minus 14, there's three feet of snow on the ground, you know, all these things. And the next minute your body starts feeling weird and you start <laughs> getting a little bit of fatigue. And, and so, uh, you know, and then you're showing up Monday and you're mad because you don't feel good. And, and so it definitely, like, I remember paying the price from about, you know, race eight to about race, you know, whatever it was, maybe 10 to 12, where it was just a few races in a row. And I was just like, okay, I need to back up during the week because I can't continue to do the schedule that I was doing, you know, at the beginning of the season. So yeah, it's, it takes a, an adjustment. And I think that it's why I believe certain individuals uh, you put your money on them to be champion because they're seasoned. They have an understanding of what that schedule is there. They have an understanding of when it's go time. Um, and so, yeah, it's, there's a rhythm to it for sure. I mean, to switch back to MotoGP, obviously we've got 21 races, which is a lot, but also we've got the sprint races. So you've got all of a sudden you've got two races on a weekend. Uh, and even though, you know, the amount of track time is more or less the same, the intensity in a race, even a sprint race is much higher. Uh, or, you know, as a, I speak as a lay person, um, how do you, how do you manage that? How do you think, well, how do you think that's going to affect the racing and, and, you know, who you put in your cards on, who do you think is going to come out of that? Is it going to, is it going to help the, like the more mature riders, the older riders, or is it going to help uh, the younger riders who just have more sort of physical reserves? You know, so, so the, the current era of MotoGP seems, it seems so important to be, you know, front two rows. Um, if you're not on the front two rows, you know, you're, you're left to be, you know, a, Alex Rins every once in a while coming from the back or a Brad Binder. And you, you're, you're kind of like that guy that should have, would have, could have, you know, what could have happened if he started in the top two rows, um, you know, outside of that MotoGP's just become so important to be on those two rows. So I think a sprint race probably helps uh, the younger generation, just because I think that they're, you know, just, you know, go at the drop of the hammer. Um, the exception probably being Mark, you know, I think Mark's very clever. Um, you know, I think his strengths are go, uh, from the, the, the lights out. Um, and so it, it'll be, it'll be interesting, you know, like I probably side with Fabio. I don't love the thought of the sprint races, you know, like, I think that like, if I was to compare it to my sport, it's the thought of like going to 
a one race where it's all out and everything matters to going to the triple crown, which is where they split, you know, split up. I think it was like 12 minute main events and we did it three times, Um, you know, because then you get a guy that comes out and he wins and then he has a bad race and then he does okay in the last one. And it's like, he doesn't really pay the ultimate price of the mistakes that he's made. You know, I always like to think more, little more old school. Um, and just, I think that you should have to pay for your mistakes. Um, and so it'll be interesting actually from a fan, you know, do I hate that I'm going to get to see an extra race? No. Um, but it's hard to not think inside with some of the athletes and it seems like they're a little 50, 50, you know, some love it, some don't. Um, and so I probably just put myself a little bit back into the fan category and I just, I'm excited to see what it brings. And I hope for the better good of the sport, um, that it brings something, um, you know, worthwhile because I just see MotoGP had has gotten to a level where the falls that I see are so fast or so abrupt or so aggressive. And yet they walk away like nothing happened, you know? Um, and at some point that's not going to happen, you know? And I just hate that. Sometimes I hate that a sport that does have such high speeds and such potential on the danger side of it, um, to, you know, throwing those guys into a race situation where it's almost like a, you know, win or die trying <laughs> kind of scenario. Uh, you mentioned um, Valentino earlier on in the show, uh, Chad. Yeah, I know you rode at the ranch. Um, did that sort of experience there with him give you a bit of an insight into what makes this guy tick? Yeah, and and obviously I had been around Valentino quite a lot prior to that. Um, you know, what I've taken from my time around Valentino is just his love for motorsport in general and i think you see that as a what is he almost 45 ish um you know guy and he's still racing and you know and you envy that you know like i if i probably had the 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 time and you know the the money to burn up to go race cars um you'd probably do the same thing that he's doing you know just still living the life and you know change your suit from a leather one to a fire one and you know, have at it. But, um, what I learned at the ranch, I was very fortunate, you know, the particular, my first time to the ranch was when Mark went there and it was right after Mazzano, uh, Mark had crashed at Mazzano, Valentino had won. Um, and it was cool because I got, I got that era, you know, like that. I remember seeing Mark, you know, what was he 19, 20 years old kid. And he was just this puppy little kid you know, and you could just see he genuinely respected and loved and looked up to Valentino. We went to lunch at VR 46, you know, and you could just see a little kid that was, you know, wanted to conquer the world, wanted to kick Valentino's butt. Um, but also there was a lot of respect there, you know? And so it's kind of sad a little bit that that fell apart because I genuinely seen, you know, the fun and the things that, and yeah, so I, I probably cherished that particular moment highly because of their relationship, the way it ended up. Um, so yeah, it was awesome. How did you get on with the flat track? I can remember Colin Edwards. I think he was telling another rider, it might've been James Tozen, that not to turn up in MX gear. Cause he says, you know, you go down on that stuff and you don't want to be ripping up, you know, like a piece of nylon. Um, I mean, you need to be wearing leathers. So, I mean, how did you find it? 
Yeah, I was lucky that Alpine Star sent an undersuit. So I did have moto I did have moto gear on, but it was all over um essentially, you know, very protective uh, you know, stuff. So I wasn't I shouldn't say I don't think you're ever really okay with crashing, but I was as okay as you could be with crashing knowing that I had all the gear on. But um yeah, Were it's a you quick track. Like it's uh that in that moment, so I'm trying to think. I think it was 12, 2012-ish when I first went there. So the ranch was quite new. Um, you know, the, the, well, you're going back 10 years now. So, you know, the Morbidellis, the, you know, Minos, the, like a lot of that group, um, you know, Peco, they were all really, really young. And so it was funny because none of them were established outside of Valentino and, and things like that and so so you know jumping on a bunch of dirt bikes with flat tracks and whatever no one had like they hadn't been doing it you know week after week after week like now like if i was to go now like i feel like you'd just be embarrassed because those guys do it so often um you know even people like you know the late nikki hayden and some of the flat track guys here in america you know, go over and show up at the ranch and go like, these guys are really, really fast. Um, and again, it wasn't that they weren't fast, but it was very early on in the, in the, in the ranch's, you know, <laughs> life span. So I was okay. I jumped up to speed and I was like, top, I was probably about fifth or sixth fastest out of the group. Just when you mentioned about it being the early stages of the ranch, obviously it was good comparison to the test tracks that you use for supercross and motocross where riders have the time you mentioned about monday to wednesday midweek being out getting yourself ready for the next event like rossi was the first rider that we saw with something like that and the benefits from it compound yeah you know and and, uh, it, it is a massive benefit for a rider but it's also one of those things that once one guy does it everyone has to do it yeah and it's the ranch in particular i mean you guys all know the ranch it's it's a very you know it would be a challenging one to replicate you know um you know the the overhead and things like that 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 a place like that brings um you know and then also now you've you're living in an era of these guys dodging uh you know country taxes and whatnot and so they're all in on door and and so like i think it would be really challenging to replicate that particular you know compound um but yeah i mean valentino essentially took the american supercross motocross idea and did it and i just think it's it's really clever like i you know i probably look at the ranch differently i think yeah it's a track and everything but for me what i see within the ranch is the camaraderie and the and and the group um and the setting and 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 that you know back and forth rivalry and competitiveness that valentino has uh created and i think that that's just the true valentino rossi you know like he just loves to race you know like when a couple of times i've been there been there three times and i think almost all three times his dad's jumped on an old american flat track bike and burned some laps and and so you see that the, the apple didn't fall far from the tree and there's just racing embedded into his life, you know, his life, daily life, really. 
Yeah, it was obvious as well when, when he was testing because he hated testing. He'd always sort of like roll out of bed at about, about 10, half 10, and then start at 11, 12, something like that. Um, but, you know, racing, he just absolutely – and he, he seems to be competitive – at everything like he wants to he just wants to compete and i think that drives a lot of uh you know truly elite and great athletes um the just going back to the rossi marquez thing was was the atmosphere as intense as we hear it was was there was it really valentino and mark both out to prove a point to each to one another <laughs> I, I look at it in it it's a little. I th- I find it sad, um, because the two individuals that I got to hang out with and have lunch away from the world and the craziness, um, you know, I I just believe and individually I love them both, you know, and so it's kind of like as a as a friend and a fan, it was a tough one. Um, I think that, you know just that taking a neutral position, I think that you just Valentino was at a point in his life and, you know, where it was getting on the backside of it. And I think he was utilizing the tools he had. And, you know, I think that, you know, I think that the mistakes he made was probably going at Mark as hard as he did, because I think Mark rose to the occasion um, you know, and so I think that there's certain bears you can poke certain certain ways, and I think the way he poked Mark, I, I, they're individually so alike in that manner, I believe, and then Mark just was able to be the better, you know, you know, get on top, and really, honestly, got the last laugh. Um, you know, I think Jorge's last title should have been Valentino's, and I think that Valentino emotionally created the outcome of that my personal opinion is that you know just from somebody who's been at the top level of racing um i just think that 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 last championship and i think moto gp interfered because i don't believe valentino deserved the penalty at the last race and i think that had the penalty not been there valentino probably wins the title um and so yeah that's a conversation that could go on but just from somebody that was uh, that is a friend of both. Um, I just personally think that Valentino made made a made you know poked the poked the wrong bear. Chad, who's the fastest uh, MotoGP rider you've seen on the dirt? I mean, I think we know Dovi is probably the most obsessed, but uh, you know, if you had to sort of rank the order of ability, who would be top? Yeah. See, I haven't I haven't rode with well. Not that Jonathan is MotoGP, but um, Jack's pretty good. You know, like I've Jack has like I've Jack spent the summer, one of the summers, I think when he was in more Moto G uh, Moto three. Um, and so Jack's pretty clever. Um, I see obviously Mark ride a lot. I've never personally rode with Mark, so it's hard to judge what you see on Instagram. Um, Dovi again, I, I, I rode with Dovi like in the early, early two thousands. Um, I don't know. That's a real tough one because I hear a few of the boys. I heard Alex Rins rides quite well. Um, Quattararo as well. Yeah, Fabio Soso. I've rode with Fabio. He's, you know, I would say that Jack's quite a bit better than than Fabio on a dirt bike. Um, Jack's pretty clever. Of of the people that I personally have ridden with, Jack 
is the is the better of the group. Um, but yeah, did you ride with? Uh, or... Did did you try Bradley Smith? Did you ever ride with him? I rode flat track with Bradley. Um, Brad's a good friend. We always go back and forth on Instagram, you know, talking crap on each other. But <laughs> um, yeah, Brad. I mean, Brad's background is uh, you know basically motocross. Um, but for some reason, I never, yeah, like I actually have a picture of a, a very young redheaded, uh, kid in 2009, um, when he was on 125s and I showed up to, uh, uh, Indianapolis MotoGP and he was a big, you know, motocross fan. Um, and yeah, he was, and, and honestly, that's probably what I love personally about MotoGP is that you know, it's just motorsport. And in general, motorsport, people follow other motorsport and, you know, you're in your little bubble and you race supercross week in and week out. And then when I show up at MotoGP races, um, it's, it's always quite surprising how many people, you know, want to talk supercross and want to talk, um, to you and know who I am and things like that. And I have many stories about, you know, all those kids, you know, kids that I genuinely look up to like a Marquez, and then you see him in the lobby of a hotel and they want to get a picture with you. And honestly, it was like the other way around. I wanted to get a picture with him, but I wasn't asking, you know? And so it's, it is, it's, it's funny that our, our sports or they all collide and we all have respect for each other. And that's, what's awesome about it. Yeah. Believe it or not, Chad, Adam is actually one of the most uh, popular people in the MotoGP paddock, just because all the MotoGP riders are constantly going up to ask how Jeffrey Hurlins is recovering from his injury oh, or, really- Tim Geis was doing yeah. whatever. Um, yeah, I just, I mean, yeah D- Dovi Chelsea would basically push the rest of us out of the way to get to Adam to <laughs> ask him about well, what's going on MX- MXGP. My, uh, Dovi is really hard on like falling oh, yeah. into it. Yeah. And, and, and to the point, he's a little bit like, honestly, he's kind of like me on the MotoGP side of it. You know, like he, he very much wants to know the, the bones of what is happening. Right. Because, he also, you know, you have to respect he's been on the inside. He's, he's been an athlete that's won races. And so he understands the bones. And so he wants to know kind of what the inside lines are. So I, I can respect that. Chad, I just wanted to ask you about the upcoming MotoGP season, because from my point of view, I think from everyone's point of view, it does look like it could be pretty special. We've got Pecco and Bastianini in the same team, which should be fireworks. We've got Mark, hopefully coming back to past levels and then obviously Fabio with what we hope will be a, a much improved Yamaha. I mean, it does look like it could be quite an intense year. I just wanted to ask how you see it panning out. <laughs> it's always a tough one because, you know, you, you they're my friends. And so you, ha- you hate to say things because you're hurting someone's feelings. But with that said, I, I can't shy away from how much I just respect Mark. I think Mark is 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 a great you know he's one of the greats and if that honda and he is healthy and the bike's not even the great bike because let's be honest has it ever been great not really um especially if you talk to casey away from the track um you know and so i just think mark is a man amongst boys um I hate to say that. <laughs> sorry, Jack. Sorry, boys. But <laughs> I just, I just genuinely believe that that he's just that good. Um, you know, I think he's so clever. I think that if he's, I think if he's fit and he's healthy and he can get on top of everything, 
I think he plays the normal games. And I just think that those games are when, you know, and I, and I just think generally speed outright speed. Um, the thing that worries me with saying that is that the sport has changed. You know, you talk to these guys and it's not like it used to be, you know, the arrow has really affected the racing. And I think that that will probably be, the interesting thing is like how much does the sprint race affect the outcome of a Sunday's race? Um, essentially it's really just one of the same, you know, it's either all out one lap on your own or, you know, how do you manage a sprint race? Um, and we'll just see if the outcome is still the same, you know, is it six Ducatis on the front two rows or is it, you know, can everybody else hang? And, and I don't know that. And so, and even just, like, I guess it's exciting. Like Jack jumped on a seemingly pretty hard bike to ride and seemed to gel with it. And, you know, I don't want to share personal conversations, but he genuinely seems pretty happy. Um, that surprised me a little bit coming off of arguably, um, and from the outside, everybody talking that the Ducati is the best bike on the grid. So I think that it's, yeah, like, and it, I agree with you. I, let's hope that Yamaha has, you know, brought a bike that, you know, is not a knife to a gunfight. So um, should be, yeah, should be fun. Um, just building on that, how how much is it about the bike and how much is it about the rider in MotoGP? Just viewed from your your perspective and your experience from, from uh, motocross and supercross. My experience is, is I think that motorcycle racing will always i think the last percentages come from the rider um but i i've witnessed a huge change and i see it on our in our sport you know like 2009 we implemented uh fuel injection with fuel injection came a whole bunch of electronics and so now we're able to control things that we once upon a time couldn't control and i see the benefit in dirt bike racing and so and we don't have speed sensors we don't have you know wheelie control we don't have aero and so when you add all of that and like let's say that i have two parameters and MotoGP has 20 parameters um it's very different and so i do believe that the sport of MotoGP is very driven from the base of the motorcycle and i think that how you know how good Mark is, and how bad the Honda has been. You you see that, and and I think that I'm hoping that he's really healthy and he's back to his normal self. And if we see him continue to struggle, then I think the answer is, um, and not making excuses for Mark, but I think that the real answer is is the bike matters because I just genuinely believe he's he's a beast, you know, and he's and he's that good. Um, and so if he can't succeed and he can't win and he's you know, he's happy for seconds and thirds. Um, then I think that we see the real outcome of how important a motorcycle is. Obviously, with Mark, it is one of those situations where you want to see what's motivating him at this stage of his career as well. And I thought it was interesting whenever you were talking about you didn't want to hurt someone's feelings whenever you were saying about the chances going forward. When you were a rider, would you have taken offense if, you know, one of the established stars of of the sport said something like that about you or is that something that would really drive a rider on we talk about it a lot in terms of oh he feels slighted he feels scorned whatever it is but is that the biggest factor 
for a lot of writers, do you think, Chad? I think the best way to answer it is that, you know, I think it's a real thing that that Fabio, well, let's call it the group outside of Mark, they are not in the same conversation in the greats of the sport yet, you know? And I, and I say yet because I don't mean any disrespect to those guys, but I think that if you were to get them to sit down, you know, and the way they acknowledge Mark, even when they know that they have Mark covered because of Mark's situation, they still ha- they still hold Mark at a high level, you know? Everybody fears Mark. I genuinely believe that there's not an individual on the, on the grid that doesn't fear a healthy Mark. Um, and so, yeah, I, I probably would just say that from my experience and, and, and what I truly believe is that they, I think that they would acknowledge that they are not, you know, at the level um, and I don't, and I'm not talking like the level of like, we go racing tomorrow that, that, that they're at that level. It's more just the, the global level of MotoGP and the achievement of Mark. I just, they're not there yet. That's, that's just real. You know, I think that's a real thing and it's not a hard one to argue. <laughs> yeah. I, I, rem- I can't remember who said it, but it's a bit like, like Valentino was the same and Mick Doon was the same. They'd already won the race by the time they'd lined up on the grid sort of thing. It's the same with Mark. They've got sort of like the, the, you, they get a free, I don't know, 300 meters or something. The first 300 meters of the race, just because, you know, everyone is thinking about them. Whereas Mark is not thinking about Fabio or he's not thinking about uh, Paco. He's not thinking about, he's just thinking about, you know, all these guys, I'm going to beat these guys. Whereas, um, Fabio might be thinking, oh, I've got a big Peko this weekend, but I wonder what Mark is going to do. So you really sort of have that sense of uh, that fear. And it, it, the way that Mark uses it, and Mickey absolutely uses it, and Valentina absolutely, the way that Valentina used to just sit behind Max Biaggi and wait for, or, or Sessi Gibbonel and wait for him to make a mistake because he knew that he was there. You, I mean, you could, you could sort of see in Biaggi's riding that he knew there was, that the Valentino was behind him. Um, uh, and the way they exploited that is, is, is unique. And I think that's what, that's really what separates the, the truly great riders from, from others. Knowing that they've got that little bit extra and being not afraid to use it, that, that extra tool. 100% agree. And if you look at the individuals that were able to come in and, and, and tackle and beat Valentino, you know, they were, you know, your, Jorge, Casey, and Mark, they came in with the chip on the shoulder that we're going to take this old guy down and they attacked him, you know, and the, the thought process was attack, attack, attack and lights out go, you know, and, and Valentino spent so long and he was so smart and he grew up in an era that was different. And, and I struggled with this on the backside of my career is that, you know, you could get yourself a good start, put yourself in good position and then it was like, you know, you'd let the race come to you. And and I think that Valentino got beat and pushed out of the way from people who just came in and attacked and went from the lights out. Um, and that was how, and I think that that was the end of Valentino is when Valentino couldn't, you couldn't, couldn't adjust to that. Um, and I, I felt that personally in my own career. So I think that, you know, a Jack, uh, you know, these guys, if they want to, you know, go with Mark and, you know, let's say Mark's great and he's back to his normal self. I think you have to, 
you have to attack him, you know, and you have to, you have to get after him and, you know, and start using the tools in the shed, um, you know, that, that weaken him and, and what that is, we don't know because no one, you know, outside of, you know, outside of Valentino or Jorge every once in a while has really been able to take that to him in a championship level uh, year. Just um, one last question, uh, Chad, to explain to the guys, you were involved in one of the best motorcycle races I've ever seen. Um, 2009 motocross of the nations, Francia quarter. You were like the reigning uh, right. AMA champion. Uh, Tony Cairoli was MXGP world champion for the first year. And you two, you know, kind of came together. There was a big build up. You know, there was the two best motocrossers in the world at that point. And then that whole moto for 30 minutes, you were just on his wheel. You had 50,000, 60,000 Italians going crazy because they wanted Cairoli to win. Um, <laughs> it was fantastic. It was one of those races that was like 30 minutes and two laps, but it seemed like it was 10 minutes. It just went, you know, in, in the flick of an eye. And uh, I just wondered if there was a, a MotoGP moment that stands out in your in your memory, you know, some kind of road racing Grand Prix event or particular skirmish that kind of uh, sticks out. Uh, I mean, a few stick out and they all seem to involve probably Valentino, you know, like I think Valentino's win over Jorge at Barcelona. Um, that was 09, 10-ish, maybe 11. Um, yeah, 09. Uh, I think that that was pretty, you know, impressive and clever on both on both ends of the spectrum. You know, I think Jorge Young and, and, and taking the pressure all the way through the last turn. Um, and then, you know, Valentino somehow figuring a way through. Um, you know, Casey and Valentino um i feel like as 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 fans we were robbed <laughs> uh casey and mark going against each other because i just think that they're they're writing you know maybe their style's not so much the same but the how they extracted everything from the team and the bike was so similar um and yet so different and i just think that it would have been so awesome to see that um you know that clash but yeah valentino seems to you know i mean and, and then there's like for me it's um like when valentino won his first yamaha race um as a as a fan of racing i feel like you could just see the pressure he had and so like not that it was an exciting race i don't necessarily comment on the race side more just the pressure that he individually had on his shoulders and taking on a you know, a corporation like Honda and, you know, going against the grain and, you know, winning that first race, like you could just genuinely see the, you know, I don't even, I can't even put it into words of what it is that we were witnessing, you know, it was just, you could just genuinely feel that there was so much pressure on his shoulders and maybe doubt at one point of like, did I really make the right decision? And then it all coming together. So. Well, that, that's great, Chad. It's been a real pleasure for all of us to have you on the pod. We didn't even get a chance to ask you anything about your own racing for this year going forward and uh, anything really about Supercross, but um, <laughs> it's been great to have you on and uh, just to hear your enthusiasm for MotoGP. So a big thank you from all of us for uh, you jumping on the call. Yeah, thanks. The only thing that sucks about MotoGP is the wait to get it going again. You know, I'm sure you guys are all enjoying, you know, your cold rainy weather there but let's <laughs> let's get to malaysia already and get some bikes on track and 
you know, yesterday Yamaha did the launch and I'm like, okay. And then I look and I'm like, we're still a month out. And I'm like, damn, let's go. Like, you know, I just, I can't wait to see bikes on track and, um, and yeah, get this, get this thing going. Well, see, that's the good thing about working in World Superbikes. I fly out to Jerez yeah. for testing now in a couple of days, and then Philip Island just rolls around really quickly as well. So that's obviously the racing you're going to be watching going forward for the there next few while, just to get yourself ready for it. First couple of rounds of Superbikes. But uh, thanks again, Chad, for joining us on the call. Cheers, boys. Appreciate it. This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast was produced by Jensen Beeler, David Emmett, Steve English, Neil Morrison, and Adam Wheeler. It was edited by Brian Burnett. Music is provided by The Liberty. All inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com. I didn't take uh, any notes, I'm afraid. <sighs> Apart from when we restarted. Or when you yeah, over that, me three times. <laughs> yeah sorry sorry about that Ad. I, I have to say that was probably my favorite thing on the whole uh, podcast Ad had his head in his hands like that it, it reminded Ad's me of just him. like absolutely thought, in in despair can you not it see my hand is up the, yeah i know the final yeah, race but, of 2020 uh, <sighs> when we were doing the zooms on the sunday and ad was just like it, it looked like that yeah I thought, I thought Dave, <laughs> i'm sorry Ad, i won't, doing, I won't uh, talk in the next one all right